Welcome to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Intentional exists to help parents in their God-given task to raise passionate Jesus followers. We exist to bring hope, help, and healing to families. Each week, we will talk about anything from parenting, marriage, lifestyle, and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. Intentional is made up of Phil and Diane Comer and Brooke and Elizabeth Moser. I am Brooke, and the funny thing is, we are all family. Elizabeth is Phil and Diane's daughter, so we're a family figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. Welcome back to the Intentional Parents Podcast. My goodness, can I just start by saying thank you to all of you who have taken the time to rate the podcast and leave comments. Your words have been so edifying to our souls, and man, the feedback has been so inspiring and helpful. So thank you for that. And if you haven't had a chance, just as a reminder, we're trying to get to a thousand ratings on Apple Podcast by July. So uh, if you haven't had a chance, haven't had a chance, just please uh, pause real quick. You can rate the podcast really quick, even leave a comment if that's helpful. And again, that's just to help get the word out. We are a part of the algorithm. And uh, when we have more ratings, it actually just helps us get this message into people's hands. So for everyone that has done that, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It has been such a gift. Uh, Want to let you also know about one more thing before we get into today's podcast. And that is the intentional film series. As you've heard on this uh, podcast before, we've been talking about it, but we just recently released the intentional film series, which is a nine part film series all about raising passionate Jesus followers. So it's the 40 plus years of work that Phil and Diane have put into their own children. And uh, they just do a brilliant job of teaching. Elizabeth and I join them and share application and story and do our part, at least to our extent in the story. Uh, And we uh, are so happy and proud of this and honestly have seen it just begin to change so many people's lives. We've gotten such incredible responses and feedback. So we just want to say thank you to everybody who has gone online and purchased it and also just uh, taken time to invest in your family and your community. That said, we are actually going to extend uh, our discount. So basically, when we launched it, we did a launch price of 50% off, and that's been going so well, and it's got such a great response that we're just going to extend it for another month. So if you haven't had a chance to get the film series, get it this month. It's a great opportunity to jump online and to go to intentionalparents.org slash film series and grab your digital download, or you can grab the box and You'll see all the stuff there, but go check that out. If you haven't had a chance, go go check that out. It's great to do in community. It's great to do with some friends. It's great to do at your church. And so if you haven't had a chance, do that. Today, we're going to do something a little different. So just recently, uh, I was teaching at a friend's church, and his church is specifically going through a series that they called Q&R. And so they, they just said, hey, church, send in all of your questions. What are you thinking about? What are you processing? What are you struggling with? And uh, the church just responded brilliantly with over 100 or more, or I think like 150 or so questions. And they asked really good questions, thoughtful questions. And one of the questions that they asked was, what are the different gender roles in marriage if they're not social constructs? What are they? And it was a great question. So he had asked me to come out and teach. So I came out and taught on this and responded to this really good question. And so as Phil and Diane and Elizabeth and I were talking, we just decided, you know, let's actually do like a little mini series here 
on this idea of gender roles in marriage. And so here's what's going to happen. So today I'm actually going to release the teaching that I did at this church. And uh, it's a it's about, you know, 40 or so minutes, so maybe a little longer. And it's going to give us the foundation. What are the biblical roles according to the Bible? How do we play them out? How does that actually play out in our day-to-day life? And then we're going to take the next few weeks. Elizabeth and Diane are going to sit down and talk specifically about how that plays out for them as wives and how they experience that and their wisdom on that topic. And then the next week, Phil and I will sit down and we'll share about how that affects husbands and how that affects men and how we've been processing this. So that's kind of the journey for the next couple of weeks. And uh, let's get into today's podcast. You are currently in a series called Q&R. And as I understand it, you guys have sent more than a hundred questions or so in about all sorts of questions that you have. And I think this is such a wonderful practice for a church. I just want to affirm the leadership and the teams here for doing this. This is such a great thing to be able to address the things that you're working through and processing through as individuals and as a church. That said, the fact that I'm passionate about marriage and family, I got the real easy question, which one brave person here decided to ask, which I wish you wouldn't have. And that question was, are the various gender roles in marriage just cultural constructs? If not, what's the purpose and different roles in a marriage? So a real simple question, not, not, not problematic at all. Not potentially hazardous for me ever coming back. <laughs> so my first thought is, if this person that asks this question is actually married, that'd be my first question. Because uh, if you're married, you recognize really quickly, there's roles, whether you're acknowledging them or not. Anybody married? Yes? Anybody? Yeah, if you're married or not, right, you know that there's roles. Even if you've communicated about these roles, you have a role, right? And so I want to give a few disclaimers before I respond to this actually very good question. So first disclaimer, I am not going to address the overall issue of gender identity or transgender issues. They're very important, but that's not what this question is uh, asking. Second disclaimer, I'm not going to be addressing the issues of same-sex marriage or same-sex attraction inside or outside of marriage. Uh, Third, I'm going to be addressing gender roles in marriage, and my definition will be based on what the Bible says marriage is which is one man and one woman in heterosexual, committed, covenantial marriage, okay? One more time, one man, one woman in heterosexual, committed, covenantal marriage. Make sense? Fourth, last disclaimer, is for those who are single. If you are single, please make some noise proudly. Proudly, come on. Thank you. (laughs) Someone cried in the back. Someone's like, "Ah." (laughs) that's great. now, so that, that was for you. So if you noticed or heard anybody that was single around you, you're welcome. You can, you can figure that out later. Um, but, but being single, this is important because the best time to learn about marriage is, and more importantly, uh, what marriage is and what it isn't is before you're married. It's before you get into the whole thing. So if you do have questions about uh, homosexual marriage, transgender issues, questions about that and how the Bible addresses those specifically. I want to point you to a good friend of mine. His name's Preston Sprinkle. Uh, he has a wonderful ministry. You can go to PrestonSprinkle.com. Uh, he has a podcast called Theology in the Raw. He's been on our pa- podcast a bunch. We work with him. He's great. And he has a bunch of resources around uh, a really good biblical thought through answers to what the Bible says on all these issues. So I want to give you that as a resource. Okay. So if you have questions about that, look into that. Everyone okay? Breathing? (laughs) Ephesians 5, okay. In 2007, two weeks after my wedding day, uh, my wife and I returned home to our, from our honeymoon. 
We entered a 400 square foot studio apartment in the Pearl District in Portland. And I started assembling new furniture that we had just purchased because we have a new home together, right? You get married, you're getting a couch and bookshelves and tables. And she immediately went into the kitchen and started making dinner. Now, the interesting thing is that she didn't ask me to put together the furniture. And I didn't ask her, more importantly, to go make dinner. She just did it. And I just started making furniture. We just naturally did those things. But, but why? Why did I do that? And why did she do that? Was my role as a man to put together the furniture in the home? And was hers to make dinner? I mean, men and women, right, depending upon skills and experience, both male and female can fulfill those roles equally, right? Do we agree with this? Yeah? I can't cook, but I can build stuff. She can cook, but she's not really fond of building things. Now, are the roles that Elizabeth and I played out that day, are they, are they just because of skill, or is there something deeper? Were we fulfilling gender roles that day, or were these just the various skills and skill sets that landed? To answer that question, to the Bible. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin really fast. This is going to be the scripture that we root ourselves in today. Uh, verse 21. Ephesians 5 verse 21, and it says this. Submit to one another. Just pause really quick. Just pause. Those four words matter a lot, okay? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, take a deep breath. It's okay. Husbands, we're going to address you next. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So to respond to this wonderful question, I want to look at what the Bible says about gender roles in marriage. What are women's and men's roles individually? And how do we live them out? Okay, that's where we're going today. What the Bible says, what are the different roles? How do we live them out? So what does the Bible say specifically about gender roles in marriage? Marriage is a sanctifying institution. Anybody marry agreed? Anybody? You are going to be marrying a mirror. And marriage is one of the most glorious and ruthless institutions on the planet. <laughs> because you can't escape yourself. Why marriage is so hard and so many people don't make it is because it is hard to live with the true version of yourself or to go through the work that it takes to become the type of person that follows Jesus and lives your life fully. So let's start at the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. If you have a Bible, start. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to get some of our foundation help here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 is where we're going to start. Just two verses to help give some context. So the man, speaking of Adam, gives, uh, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper to be found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he had brought her to the man. 
That word helper in Genesis 2 is incredibly important, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But for greater context, turn a couple page over, pages over to Genesis chapter 5, okay? Genesis chapter 5, first verse, okay? While you're turning, I'll start reading it to you. It says this, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, everyone, male and female. And he blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. So from the very beginning, God made you and I two things. First, like him. And secondly, different. He made us like him from the very beginning. Both genders, male and female, have God-like power and God-like quality in them. But he also made us different on purpose and for very good reason. You see, there's a synergy when a man and a woman operate in their God-given roles and it makes something beautiful. Uh, if you've heard of the word synergy before, the word synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more people to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. Think about a child, right? One plus one equals three. Isn't that weird? For those math whizzes, they're like, yeah, I got it. I got it. It's, it's not, it doesn't add up. Isn't that great? Yeah, so let's keep moving. So from the, out, from the outset, we have to grasp that there may be more to our gender roles than is present at the start. There might be something more. But in the creation story, Genesis, as we're reading, uh, the creation story starts to disintegrate. There's sin, obviously, starting with the curse. And obviously, this messes some things up. Things begin to become disordered and dysfunctional, and problems begin to arise. And one of those areas of dysfunction, not a surprise here, comes in our roles in marriage. And that's not a surprise to us, is it? Uh, what's truly amazing is that under the influence of the curse in Genesis, every human culture to date has found a way to interpret male headship in a way that usually marginalizes and oppresses women. And it's usually our dear sisters who notice first and object, right? And then the brother's like, yeah, yeah, that's bad, that's bad. Our sisters feel this and they bring it up, right? So whether you identify yourself today as an egalitarian, a feminist, a traditionalist, a complementarian, or any other uh, view or variety on the interpretive spectrum, the difference between men and women will become an unavoidable issue in your marriage. Failure to come to terms with what those roles are, um, it's like tiptoeing around the big elephant in the room, right? Like you know there's something, but we don't know how to talk about it or what it is. Now, all of us, myself included, we come into marriage with the, the, an idea of roles, of how a husband should behave to his wife. Whether you're present to this or not, you have an idea of how a husband should behave to his wife, a wife to her husband, and children to their parents. We all do. The furniture and dinner analogy that I shared earlier, right? Now, this may come from your family of origin, uh, current cultural norms, observations of friends' marriages. It could be come from your fictional reading habits or movie habits. But wherever you get, get your definition from, there's no denying that the subject of gender roles in marriage is a contentious and often controversial one. And many of us have seen unfortunate, unfortunate men and women, mostly men, uh, use Bible verses as weapons for both oppression and rebellion. And to be clear, that is so wrong. We don't use the Bible as a weapon. We learn it together. I have also seen uh, healing and flourishing that can happen when these hot-button words like headship and submission are understood correctly with Jesus as the model of both. And we'll get more into that. 
Now, when discussing gender roles for you and I in marriage, we have to look at the good that God originally intended. What was the good that he intended with these roles? How have men and women corrupted those things through the, through the sin? And what has Jesus done to redeem those? Because with that, we can only move to the hazardous concepts of headship and authority and sub- submission, excuse me, if we understand those properly. So, as I mentioned, we're made different on purpose. Are we all clear on that? Yes, we're made different on purpose. This means that our maleness, men and femaleness, ladies, is not incidental to our humanness. It it implies our very essence. You are not a woman on accident. You're not a man on accident. This means I can understand myself. I cannot, excuse me, understand myself if I try to ignore the way that God has designed me or if I despise the gifts that he has given me to help fulfill my calling. So, if the postmodern view that gender is, is wholly a social construct, if that were true, then we could follow whatever path seemed good to us. And we actually have great examples of how that's playing out now. You have friends, you have family, that where they are realizing gender is an idea more than it is an actual biological situation. And it has major negative implications. Again, we're not going to get into that, but it has major negative implications. And if our gender is at the heart of our nature, we might potentially risk losing a key part of ourselves if we abandon the distinct male and female roles that God has uniquely given you. Now, a natural question that arises every time with male and female roles is equality. Genesis shows us very clearly, we didn't do an in-depth review, but we can go more later. Genesis shows us that men and women were created with absolute equality. This is important for you to hear because you're hearing lots of different things. The Bible teaches that men and women are made with absolute equality. Both are made in the image of God. They are equally blessed. They're equally given dominion over the earth. This means that men and women together in full participation carry out God's mandate to build civilization and culture. Both men and women are called to do science, are called to do art, and to build families and human communities. This isn't just a man's job. It's not just a woman's job. It is a collective effort together. Immediately after making us male and female, what does he say? He says, be fruitful, fill the earth, be creative, create humans when you get married. He gives the human race this mandate to procreate, which is a reflection of his own boundless, life-giving creativity. So, have you made a human yet? It's a pretty creative process. It's crazy. It's scary. Uh, it's gnarly on all levels, right? Like when you, when you get to the spot where that happens, like it's crazy. But obviously, this wonderful gift of creating a new human life is something we can only carry out together. For example, there is nothing that shows me how insufficient I am as a dad than when my wife goes away for the weekend. I am helpless. My kids are like, what are we eating for dinner? I'm like, I don't know. I don't plan past like 20 minutes from now. That's not how I work. Mom's planned a week in advance. She meal plans. She goes grocery shopping. I figured out 20 minutes before. What would you like, right? Like that's, that's how I grow. Now, neither sex, male or female, has all the characteristics necessary. Only in complementary union can we do this together. So these verses in Ephesians suggest strongly that each male and female, while equally, uh, while equal in dignity, excuse me, and worth are complementary. When God sees Adam alone, 
a male without a female, what does he say? God says, it's not good. <laughs> it's the, I'm not, this is not a joke. The first thing in the whole universe that God finds imperfect is a man alone. <laughs> no disrespect, men. I understand it. Like when I'm alone, I, alone, I self-implode. Like it's not helpful. I need people around me. Adam is the physical source of Eve, and he's given the responsibility of naming her. Like, what's that about? That's kind of like, what does that mean? Now, both of these elements are important because they lay the narrative for some of the words in the New Testament that you hear, like headship. Was headship all about authority and, and he can control me? No, we'll get into that in a minute. But the, it's important for us to understand that the reason we use words like headship or authority is not because you are unequal. It is because God gave Adam a specific role. So, However, and a big however, despite giving authority to a man, the woman is not described in the expected way as inferior. She's not just to help him do what he wants to do. She's called, Genesis chapter 2, 18, she is called a helper suitable for him. So with all this tension building, right, what are the roles that women play and what are the roles that men play biblically in marriage? Now, since a since God called women specifically to be a helper, and we're going to unpack that, suited for her husband, it would be strange if he didn't endow both men and women with unique abilities, right? We have different abilities, don't we? To better fulfill their unique calls. So, as is the gentleman thing to do, ladies first. So what is the woman's role in marriage biblically? Something that's helpful for us to understand around a, a, specifically a woman's role is to understand that certain original words in Hebrew or Greek do not translate into English the full meaning or concept of what was originally meant by the biblical author. Are you tracking with me? Some, some words are hazardous because they mean different things now than they meant then, or we, our words don't actually hold the full meaning of what they could mean. For example, Genesis 2.18, as I just said, a helper suitable for him may be misleading to you and I and leave you sisters to think that your job is to be a doormat and to help with whatever your husband may need. That's your job. Fulfill what he wants. But I assure you it's not. Uh, the noun used here is the word, the Hebrew word, ezer. And throughout the whole Old Testament, it does not suggest helper as in servant. And that's the misunderstanding. But rather help in the sense of savior, rescuer, protector. Ladies, your role as help is not subordinate. It is savior, rescuer, protector, as in the phrase, God is our help. He helps you help, but it is not in a subservient way in that sense. It is rescuer, protector, savior. In no other occurrence in the Old Testament does this refer to an inferior, but always equal or superior role, depending upon the situation. Help, that word help, easer, expresses that the woman is a help or strength who rescues or saves man. Now, don't use this as fuel in your next argument, ladies. Uh, I can just hear it. You're the one who needs rescuing. You're the one. I'm here to help you. Listen to me. Like, no, don't, don't use that. But the point being that, men, we need some rescuing. Any, any honest dudes in the room say, yeah? Like, we need some rescuing, right? Now, men, Brothers, for a second, if you are married to a godly woman who loves Jesus and loves you, which is a miracle, by the way, I know that firsthand, let me ask you a question. Has that woman made you worse or far, far, far better? 
I already know the answer. Better, way better. All your friends like you more. Like it's a good thing that she's in your life. Now you're on time to places. Now you're more efficient. You're more thoughtful about the fact that you might say things in a different way that aren't so offensive, that kind of stuff. Now we know that God didn't put you sisters on this earth to make a man's life better. That wasn't the point. But listen here, that is a byproduct of you functioning in your God-given design. You make things better. Sisters, listen, you make things fuller, you make things richer, you make things better. That is part of the role God's given you. It's not because a man needs you to do that. It's because that's what happens when a woman fully in her God-given gift is designed to, to be, she just starts helping and blessing and can't help but make everything around her so much better, so much richer, so much fuller. Can I get some sort of amen in here, please? It's true. It's so true. While many Christians, and I've seen it, and maybe some of you here are in this space, and if you have any questions, you can email Zav or Russo. I don't want to hear from you. Uh, you can text those guys. They'll love, to, they'll love to answer any of the questions that you have, the long list. You talk to them. Um, but while many Christians often in different times see a woman's function as a subordinate to man, the word easer in the original Hebrew overturns that idea. The woman was not created to serve the man, but to serve with the man. And without the woman, the man was only half the story. She was not an afterthought or an, an optional adjunct or uh, to an independent, self-sufficient man. She was a part of the whole story from the very beginning. Remember, Jesus said, without her, the man's condition was not good. God's intention in creating the woman was for the man, excuse me, God's intention in creating the woman for the man was for the two to be partners in the many tasks involved in stewarding God's creation. So isn't it obvious to you that the easer is a warrior? And don't we already know this in our bones? Just think about this for a second. I have four children, as I said, three of them are girls. My youngest daughter's name is Sloane. Now we didn't know that, we knew this when she was um, about to be born, that Sloane means warrior. And we're like, that's cool, that's great. Not cool. If your kids live up to your, their names, not cool. Uh, her name means warrior. And my goodness, that girl has more fire in her bones than all of her other siblings combined. She is a four-year-old, but she can make grown humans cry in minutes. And I've seen it. It's like she can throw an emotional rager and get everyone involved immediately. She just knows what to say and knows what to, it's insane. God created his daughters to be easer warriors with their brothers. He deploys the easer, the helper, to break the man's loneliness by soldiering with him. Not for him, with him. Wholeheartedly and at full strength for God's gracious kingdom. So then the descriptions of a woman as dependent or needy or vulnerable or differential or helpless or leaderless or weak are, to put it simply, just not accurate. The easer is a warrior. The visual that is connected to this word is actually um, that of battle. Uh, back when battles were fought in big open fields, just picture any you know, movie that you've seen where there's open combat in a field and sword to sword combat. If one person was fighting alone, it was extremely dangerous because anybody could come behind you and kill you, could throw something, could stab you, whatever. But in battle, they actually had something called an easer. And the easer was someone who literally would come and put their back to yours so that you could move through the crowd 
effectively protecting your back and your chances of survival were, were elevated significantly. This is the picture of a woman's role in marriage on the same field, in the same place, with the same risk and responsibility, just a different role. Sisters, we honor you and are grateful for the role you play. We honor you. Now, I can understand that some of you sisters still are having a hard time with this idea of the word submit or be submissive. And I understand it can be a tall order. What does that mean? That's a whole other teaching. We'll get into some of it, but I can't get into all of it today. But to be honest, especially in our current time, an even bigger leap may be required to understand that it takes an equal degree of submission for men to submit to their gender roles. Because men, I don't want to be rude, but we have messed this thing up, okay? In the sense of needing to understand it better, okay? In our world currently, we are accustomed to seeing the perks and the privileges grow around those who have higher status. Uh, Think about platinum mileage flyers, right? When, When you have all this time of travel, what happens? You receive free upgrades, you get first class, along with uh, free food, you know, checked bags, all that stuff. For those uh, who have bigger bank accounts than the rest of us, they may have immense privilege and they might be able to buy and to go and to experience a lot. And in our time, that could definitely lend you to think that you are great in this culture and time if you possess great wealth and power. But in the scriptures, the greatest is the one who is the most self-effacing, most sacrificial, most devoted to the good of the other. In the scriptures, greatness is not defined by any of those things. Jesus redefined, or rather properly defined, headship and authority, and in turn, taking the toxicity of it away, at least for those who live by his definition rather than by the world's understanding. Uh, If you remember a story in John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You've seen that. Both showing and teaching them how he was redefining authority and headship. And let me just read it to you because I think it's important. It says this, do you understand what I've done? And this is uh, chapter 13, verse 12 of John. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. The master has just made himself into a servant who has washed his disciples' feet, and he demonstrates in the most dramatic way that authority and leadership mean that you become the servant means that you use your power to die to yourself in order to love and to serve the other. Jesus redefines all authority as servant authority. And I encourage you to write that down. All authority is servant authority. Now think with me for a moment how, that, how counter that is for you and I men today. What is the way to up? When you have power, you're a pre- like the idea is people serve you. Serve me. I'm the one that's in control, that has all the power, bend to my schedule, do my things my way. If you're getting uncomfortable right now, maybe just self-examine, right? What's going on in there? But when we abuse power or rightly don't understand our leadership, we become oppressive, sometimes intentionally, most of the time unintentionally. But as we look at Jesus as our example, any exercise of power can only be done if it is in service to the other person. 
Jesus is the one who did not come to be served as the world's authority, remember. Uh, he came to serve. And the point is that when you do that, it's life-giving to the other person. It's the way the world works. Now, brothers, we know this to be true, don't we? Men, you know this to be true? Anybody? Guys, are you awake? Anybody here? There's more coffee downstairs from what I hear. Um, what happens in your marriage when you start living by your schedule, doing your things and serving yourself instead of your, your wife or your family? What happens? I'll tell you what happens, because you know. I'll put words to it. It's called life blows up in your face. It doesn't work. Uh, you're frustrated. You're irritated. It's problematic. You're always, there's tension. You know, that's, I know this because I know how to, I've lived all this stuff. When we lead our families by example through serving, helping, putting other needs first, things work the way they were designed, don't they? They work in the right way. Now, man, I know what you're thinking, but what about my needs, my wants, my dreams? And the reason I know what you're thinking is that's exactly what I think. Like, if I'm doing all this serving, how am I going to get what I want, right? How am I going to get what I need? And a funny dynamic is that when you serve in the kingdom context, it always comes back to you. I don't know how, but it does. So on that note, as an example, a fun thought experiment. Will you go on a fun thought experiment with, with me real quick? Okay. So men, just think about this for a second. What happens when you say to your wife, sweetheart, I know that you have had, have not had a break for a long time. Uh, you're constantly giving of yourself to me and our family. And I'm going to send you away for the weekend to just remember that you are a human and to honor your capacity. And I just want you to rest. So thought experiment. What would happen, men? Let me tell you what happens. That wife or mother comes back feeling loved, seen, understood, cared for, thought of, appreciated, and refreshed. And you know who that directly affects, gentlemen? <laughs> you. <laughs> it affects you in all the arenas that you hope for and the ones that you need. Men, you understand what I'm saying. When you serve your wife, it comes back to you. That's your part of the dance. It's your role to initiate servant leadership in your home. What good-willed wife thinks, man, my husband has been so kind, thoughtful, sweet, understanding, and gracious to me. I'm just going to ignore him. I'm going to belittle him. I'm going to withhold from him. I just can't handle it. He's being too kind. He keeps serving me. No, your, your service reproduces service. You men will create an ecosystem, and it's your job to create the ecosystem of serving one another in your home, and it happens when you live this way. Remember that the biblical word love actually is not just all about the feelings. It's to will the good of the other. Loving somebody is saying, what is good for you? Figuring that out and then helping it happen. Now, before I move on, on a pretty regular basis, I get a lot of friends or men that ask me, what does it look like to lead your family? Like really, practically, especially given all the potential landmines of the gender roles and how we do it. How do I actually lead my family? And that's a great question. It's a bigger answer, but let me just give you a few things on your way out today. The primary way that you and I men lead our families uh, is through initiating. We don't do everything we can't. Plus, we're bad at a lot of things that our wives are really good at. Any other person? Yeah, right? We initiate. We initiate conversation. We initiate prayer. We initiate healthy rhythms in our home. Servant leadership is all about leading through serving. Men, we use our God-given power to serve our wives, to lay down our lives and our preferences, to protect them, to watch over our family. Now, I can imagine that some of you might have some objections. <laughs> so 
Let me just try to address, address two broad objections that normally come up in this situation. Uh, the first comes from the person who says, who wants more of a definition. The person that says, I need more direction than this. You like details, you want the to-do list. How do I become this type of person? I need to know what exactly does a husband do and what exactly does a wife do or vice versa. I need the details, you're a detailed person. And the answer is that the Bible deliberately does not give answers to you and I. And honestly, I think that helps couples that maybe come from a more traditional mindset to avoid falling into the pattern of simply saying, well, in my family, this is how it was done. That is not an, a help, an effective phrase. You're your own family. You're two individuals. You need to decide how this plays out in your marriage, not just borrowing from the past or borrowing from culture. Now, you and your spouse are different, and that's a good thing. Your basic roles are the basic roles of leader and helper are clear roles that the Bible teaches, but every couple must work out how that will be expressed in their own marriage, how it works out for you guys, because you're different people with different strengths. It's part of your creativity together, right? The very process of making these decisions is a key part of what it is to think out and honor, honor your gender differences. The second objection may be uh, that for, for you sisters here, some of you might chafe under this idea of male headship. And you may say, I agree that men and women are profoundly different according to their sexes, but why does that mean a man gets to lead? If men and women are equal in dignity but different, why is the husband the head? Ever asked this question? Anybody? And I think the truest answer is that we simply don't know. Why was Jesus the son the one who submitted and served? Why wasn't it the father? We don't know, but here's what we do know. We know that it was a sign of Jesus's greatness, not his weakness. The fact that Jesus was in the role where he submitted was not a sign of his weakness. It was a sign of his greatness. But more practically, it is our very effort to submit to the roles, men and women, to servant leader and strong helper, which is the terms I'll be using from here on out, servant leader and strong helper, that will help us get in touch with and honor the different gender differences in our home. In the home, the Bible directs males and females to reflect on our different gifts in our family and functions. Those are our job descriptions. It's like making a job description for your family. What's your role? What's mine? Let's play this out together. So to conclude those roles real quick, both men and women get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority, men, and Jesus in his sacrificial submission, sisters. Marriage in the biblical view addresses the chasm between you and I, the sexes. Marriage is a full embrace of the other person. So we accept this struggle. Now, uh, moving on really quick. I wanna give a few thoughts on how do we actually live out these roles? How do these roles play out and how do we live them out? It'd be so tempting for me to just uh, say, hey men, you guys just do this, and sisters, women, you just do this, and everything's gonna be fine. We're gonna just get through it, you will have no struggles. I wish that's how it worked, it doesn't. And it'd be nice, but it would dishonor the whole point uh, of you learning who your spouse is and how to apply these various gender roles. Are we all awake? I know I'm talking a lot. Everyone awake? Yeah, okay, we're good. So a quick word to you couples and then a quick word to men and then a quick word to women. To the couples, Philippians chapter two. Would you turn there real quick? Philippians chapter two. And this is for the couples. This is a principle for you to live out and make a priority in your marriage. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna start in verse three. Do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Breathe for a second. I encourage you couples to read that often. You will never thrive or flourish fully in, if you are prioritizing yourself, your needs, and your desires. In your marriage, if you put yourself first, you have already blown some stuff up. You will never actually get what you need or want. God designed our lives and our marriages to work this way. And if both husbands and wives will take on the principle of, in humility, valuing others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others, your marriage will begin to thrive. I love that phrase, those three words, each of you. This is for you ladies and this is for you men to take on your responsibility to look out for the interest of your husband, sisters, and husbands to look out for the interest of your wives. And if you honor God in these roles with humility, you, it's a recipe for deep, deep blessing. So now a quick word to you husbands, to, to, to men in the room, brothers, I just want to point you to a really sobering verse that makes my heart palpitate and I get really scared about. And that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Speaking directly to us, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. First observation did you know that your prayers are hindered when you are not thoughtful and considerate of your wife? Gentlemen, this is a really, really big deal. Like when, when God's like, listen, I, I know that you're praying, but you have been an absolute jerk to your wife. You need to apologize. You need to submit. We're not going to be talking until you deal with that. Like, what? What is that? Why doesn't anyone talk about this? This is really, this is really in the Bible. So my first observation of this is, Men, this is important. It's really important. The word considerate in Greek, it actually means a few things. It means with intimate insight, realistically, or with considerateness. So a better way said is that when you are living with your life, you're living with her in a considerate way. You're considering what she desires. You're considering what she delights in. And you're not ignorant of her preferences. You go, wow, what does she love? What does she delight in? What, what are her preferences? And we men use our energy and our power to figure that out and to make that happen. Gentlemen, say amen. Somebody say amen. We are to figure out what our wives desire, delight, and prefer. And this takes a lifetime. Because it changes, doesn't it? As soon as we had kids, my wife's love language went from physical touch to acts of service. Do you know how violent that feels? <laughs> Anybody? Cuddling on the couches the way I love you to please empty the dishwasher. It's the, it's the sexiest thing in the world. I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want me making the bed to be the thing that's attractive to you. I'd like to go back to where we were. Just to say it's a process, right? 
She's not here, so she can't speak for her side, so it's fine. Uh, Your wife, men, gentlemen, is unique and beautiful inside and out, or you wouldn't have committed your life to her. Remember, you got married because you like each other. Remember that? You actually preferred each other at one point, and maybe you still do. But it takes a lot of work to continue to stay in that space. Make it your lifelong adventure, friends, of discovering your wife and for a little extra motivation so that your prayers won't be hindered. (laughs) So brothers, I have six questions for you to ask yourselves this coming week. You're probably gonna wanna take a photo of these because if you can write this fast, I'm happy for you, but I'm sure you'll just need to snap a photo. So I'm gonna go through these six questions for yourself to ask yourself for self-examine. First, gentlemen, this is for you, brothers. Are you serving your family currently? First question, are you serving your family currently? Second, Brothers, are you teachable? This is something I see derail so many men that they do not think they have a problem because they think a problem means weakness, which means destruction, which is actually the real definition of weakness. Are you teachable? Do you have the security in yourself to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I admit it, I submit to the fact that I need help in these different areas. Third, Uh, Does your schedule indicate that your family is a top priority in time and energy and focus? Fourthly, are you taking the initiative to lead your wife spiritually by sharing the things God is teaching you? Five, I'm terrible at this next one. Are you a good listener? Wives need to share their hearts. They do. And you must be the safest place for her to do that. And I'm speaking from a place of doing a really bad job at that one. I'm often annoyed that my wife is bringing up a problem again. I'm like, oh, not another problem. I can't do it. She's an extreme perfectionist, so she always sees room for improvement in everything, and especially me. And so she's great at like highlighting where I need to grow. Uh, helpful, but hard at first. <clears throat> so are you a good listener? Uh, And sixthly, are you accepting equal responsibility for your children? Now, I know this is a slippery slope, so let me say something. Equal responsibility doesn't always mean equal time, okay? It doesn't always mean that you're going to have the exact amount of time. But are you taking equal responsibility? Even if your wife is better at some aspects of parenting, that's a big no-duh for all of us, right? Like, even if she's better at some of those aspects, your children are your responsibility too. And your wife needs a partner who willingly shares the load with her. And that's not to guilt trip you. That's hopefully to motivate you to realize if you're having some tension, begin to look at these areas. So so gentlemen, so men, in in way of self-examine, would you take these questions and would you just, over the course of this next week, find some quiet space and ask yourself, where am I living up to this? And if you're not, guess what? That's okay. Admit it. Talk to somebody, ask a friend, get counseling. Be open to the fact that we are all a work in progress. We all need this help. Lastly, sisters, I'm sorry this is going long. A wonderful proverb that obviously you know and has been uh, connected to incredible women of throughout the generations of Bible scriptures, Proverbs 31. I just wanna read two verses to you. A capable, intelligent, and virtuous woman, who, uh, who is he who can find her? She's far more precious than jewels and her value is far above rubies and pearls. The heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and he relies on and believes in her securely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need or dishonest spoil. 
She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there's life within her. Within her. Now, this is a vision. Not, it's not like every woman lives out every single part of Proverbs 31. That's, that's okay if you do, but this isn't like, hey, this is the list of to-dos. This is like the vision of the type of woman that God is saying is blessed. No woman fulfills every role, but it's a vision of a godly woman functioning at full capacity. Uh, I still remember praying in high school that God would bring me a Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, and just the other day I was studying, and I was like, whoa. I looked at my wife, and I knew this already, but like, I went through the details of what it actually meant. I was like, whoa, you actually are a Proverbs 31 woman. This is incredible. And if you know my wife, Elizabeth, you know two things, that she is that caliber of woman, and she settled when deciding to link her life with mine. Uh, Those are two things that you know. The Bible uh, considers two things more precious than jewels or precious than fine metals and fine jewelry, and that's the virtue of wisdom and it's a woman of noble character. It says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's for, more precious than jewels. Notice, sisters, us men don't make the cut. We are not in that list. But uh, there's something powerful and beautiful and priceless when a godly wife embraces who she really is. And this isn't by accident. When you read Proverbs 31, you will see a woman with vision, purpose, focus, ability, strength, capacity, and it's a rare and precious gift. So sisters, may I humbly suggest that you trust God's design of you and your role in marriage as a gift for your blessing and flourishing, not for your demise. He has designed you and he has given you a gift and he has designed you this way for your blessing and your flourishing, not your demise. This chapter concludes, Proverbs 31, with many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. The Proverbs 31 woman, while she may be physically beautiful and charming, Her crowning achievement is that she fears and walks with the Lord. She's more precious than jewels. So sisters, quick list. I know I'm running out of time. Quick list here. I gave the guys six. I'm giving you six. You can take the photo and we'll be done. Okay, sisters, here's a quick list to ask questions of yourself for self-examine. I guarantee more ladies will hold up their phone than men did. I'm just saying. I'm just already seeing it. I'm already seeing it. The ladies are like, I got my phone. Um, first question for you sisters today, am I cultivating a life that has space to become the type of woman Proverbs refers to? Secondly, am I relying on my own power or the power of the Holy Spirit to be a godly wife, mother, and disciple? And I ran all these by my wife and made her like pick them apart. So if you're like, this is your perspective, promise it's not, I promise. (laughs) I ran it by her. Many, many different ladies looked over this. Thirdly, am I begrudgingly giving my husband respect because I don't think he deserves it? Four, have I willingly accepted my God-given role as partner with my husband? Fifthly, am I continuing to develop the gifts and passions God has entrusted to me? And sixthly, Sisters, are you trusting God with what you can't control, fix, or understand? Now, what if you're married and your spouse and you have really messed this up? How do you even start? Uh, If your spouse has wronged you or you've wronged your spouse, healing starts with a wonderful word called forgiveness. Let me just share a quick, very quick story to illustrate. 
Uh, it was said of an old czar in Russia. I'm sorry, this example comes at a very inopportune time uh, with our, where our countries are at. But there's this old story of a czar in Russia. And I was going to take it out, but I was like, it's too good. I have to keep it. So uh, there was a trusted general. He was dying of his wounds. And on his deathbed, the czar promised. He said, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And he says, please watch after my son after I die. Take care of him. So he gave him his word. Uh, he gave the boy the best education, the best places to live. And he was given a commission and, and he entered the army, the young boy. He entered the army. But when that young boy entered the army, he began to gamble and he became addicted to gambling. And because he couldn't cover his gambling debts, he began to embezzle money from the regiment's funds. He just started taking money from everywhere. And one night he was sitting in a tent and he was looking at all the books and he realized that his embezzlement was about to be discovered. He's like, I'm done. I'm over now. And he couldn't hide it any longer because he knew the accounts would be discovered. So he sat and he drank heavily as he prepared to kill himself. And he had this revolver by his side and he took a few more drinks to strengthen his resolve before the suicide. But the drink was too potent and he just passes out on the table. And that night, the czar did what he normally did, where he would disguise himself as a simple soldier and he would walk through the camp to just kind of hear like, what's going on? What are my troops talking about? How's the morale of my company here? He walked into his foster son tent and saw him slumped over on this book and he read the book and he realized what he had done and what he was about to do with taking his life. And when the young boy awoke hours later, to his surprise, the revolver was gone and there was a letter in his hand. And to his shock, it was a permissory, a permissory note saying, I, the czar, will pay the full amount from my own personal funds to make up the difference found in this book. And it was sealed with his personal seal. And the czar had seen this young man's sin clearly, the full dimension of what he had done. But he had covered it and he had paid for the sin personally. So here is why you can say to your spouse who has wronged you, who you see better than anybody else, I see your sin, but I can cover it with forgiveness because Jesus saw my sin and he covered it too. It is because the Lord of the universe came into the world in disguise in the person of Jesus. That's why we're here today is because of Jesus. And he looked into our hearts. He saw the worst and he said, I'm going to forgive you. When Jesus was up there nailed to the cross, he looked down and he saw us denying him, betraying him, forsaking him. He saw our sin and he covered it. I don't know of any more powerful resource for granting forgiveness than that. I don't know of anything more necessary in marriage than the ability to forgive fully, freely, and listen unpunishingly. Those three things are very important. A deep experience of the grace of God and knowledge is that you are a sinner saved by grace, and you can give that same grace to another human being, especially your spouse. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, here's a few ways that you can partner with us in this ministry. First is to give. Intentional Parents is a nonprofit and we rely on the generous giving of our partners. So please head over to our website, intentionalparents.org slash give if you would like to become one of our partners through giving. Second is to share it. If this has at all been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, and those that you know would be blessed by it. Third is to follow us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at intentional underscore parents. And lastly, if you would head over to iTunes, if you enjoyed today's episode and leave a review on iTunes, this helps us bring more hope, help, and healing for families.